Good morning, Westbridge Church. We were not expecting you guys to show up today. So <laughs> thank you for being here. Happy 4th of July. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Eli. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to welcome you again today. Uh, happy 4th of July. This is one of my favorite holidays. And I want to remind you or tell you the story of one of my favorite 4th of Julys ever. Uh, my cousin and I, right after college, we went down to Pensacola, Florida for the 4th of July. Now, if you haven't celebrated a 4th of July in Florida, you should do so at your own risk. But they have awesome fireworks because they believe in America. <laughs> Minnesota will get there. Um, but we made our way to the beach that night, and as we did, we were approached by a man who introduced himself as Ronnie Jumper. So I said, man, Ronnie Jumper, you got to tell me how you earned that nickname. And before he told me, we started to realize Ronnie Jumper believed in the saying, you can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. So we were picking up this pretty quick, but Ronnie Jumper, I was expecting him to say, I jumped canyons. I jumped off waterfalls. And he was like, I, I jump on trampolines. I jump off diving boards. I did like a curb once. It's like, well, I don't think you really earned the name Ronnie Jumper by doing normal jumps, but that's okay. But as he went away, man, all chaos broke loose. There was mortars going everywhere, Roman candles, fireworks. People were screaming or crying. We couldn't tell which. But as we ran for our lives, I happened to think this must be what the founding fathers thought, thought 4th of July should be. So I wish you a happy 4th of July this morning. So today, I want to talk to you about freedom. Uh, we are very blessed to live in this country, and I know America's not perfect. I know it has its flaws, but there's no other place I'd rather live. And American freedom is different than the freedom we have through Jesus. American freedom means independence. It means we're self-made. It means you can't tell us what to do. And I think that's why COVID was such a shock to our systems. I mean, we're Americans. You can't tell us what to do. That's literally why this nation was started. But to say the last 16 months of COVID have been difficult or stressful, that would be an understatement. As a family, we found ourselves homeschooling. Like many of you, distance learning did not go well the previous spring, so we wanted a solid plan. The kids did great in it, but we realized that teaching is very hard. And you teachers and you homeschool parents out there, man, thank God for you guys. You guys don't get paid enough to do what you do. But as a church, shutting down for almost four months after being open for less than a year, that wasn't part of our plan. I know this feels like an eternity to go, but remember when it was two weeks to flatten the curve? We were all in uncharted waters, and then came masks and social distancing, which I hate that term because it's really physical distancing, and we realized so quickly that we need each other, we need community. Every decision we made as a church, sides were being picked, and the longer we went on, the bigger the gaps on the sides became. And this wasn't just a church thing, it was a nation thing, but instead of the church leading the way in love and unity, we kind of followed suit. And then for a while, it was just chaos. Every decision we as a church made upset 50% of the people. We had people saying, you never should have closed. 
And we had just as many people saying, you reopened way too soon. And we were stuck in the middle, upsetting both sides. But then there were the keyboard warriors. You guys know them. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Dark Knight. We can all agree Christian Bale is the best Batman. All right, okay. I'll put, I'll put the trilogy up against your three favorite Marvel movies. I think everybody wins in that fight. But there's a line in the Dark Knight trilogy where Alfred says to Bruce, some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought or bullied or reasoned with or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. And if that's not the definition of a keyboard warrior, I don't know what it is. In the season we find ourselves in, we're often seeing hard lines being drawn. A lot of blanket statements like, you're not a good Christian if, and fill in the blank. And we've forgotten that not everyone will see, the way, see things the way we see things and believe things the way we believe them. But most importantly, we've forgotten the words of Jesus. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Followers of Jesus, thank you. We're awake today. We got coffee. We got fireworks. <laughs> Followers of Jesus love everyone. It's amazing to me that the Bible was written over 2,000 years ago, and it still can be so relevant to the day and age we live in. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians to a group of churches in Galatia that were seeing growth. Paul was teaching that freedom comes through Christ alone. People were accepting the message of Jesus, but then what was happening was religious people were coming after Paul and saying, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to convert to Judaism and follow the whole law. And then they threw in, that includes circumcision. So there are 613 laws in the Old Testament, one of which is that you need to be circumcised. So that meant that the first membership classes in the Church of Galatia were all women. I stole that joke from Jeremiah. I'm going to give him credit. But Paul is telling us uh, that they're missing the point. With God isn't about following a list of 613 rules. I don't tell my kids that they need to be perfect and follow all of my rules in order to have a relationship with me. That would be insane. So Paul starts out Galatians 5 with this. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up in the slavery to the law. Paul taught us that faith in Jesus, that through faith in Jesus, they could be forgiven by God and adopted into his family. It didn't matter what race you were, what religion, well, it didn't matter what religion you were, <laughs> your gender and your status in society. Paul goes on in Galatians 5.5. 5. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness that God has promised us. For when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Followers of Jesus use their freedom to love. Paul is saying that your faith in God and your love for others is what's the most important thing. If you have a relationship with God that isn't based on rules, then the way that you show that is how you love others. You can't earn salvation by trying to follow all the laws because that's impossible because nobody is perfect. 
He continues in verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another. So there was the people in Galatia that said, it's the law above all. And then there was people that said, I'm saved by grace, so it doesn't matter what I do. I can do whatever I want because he'll forgive me, so I'm good. And Paul is saying that we need to use our freedom to serve and love each other. Followers of Jesus use their freedom to serve. He continues in verse 14. For the whole law can be summed up by this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Biting and devouring one another. Does that sound familiar to you guys? Sound like a world we might live in today? These verses lead us to ask the question, who is my neighbor? There's a parable in Luke 10 that Jesus tells us exactly who our neighbors are. It starts by a religious law expert asking Jesus, teacher, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Now let's pause just for a second. Jesus can sense a trap a mile away, and these religious leaders have been trying to get rid of Jesus for his entire ministry. They wanted him to say something that they could twist into blasphemy or find a way to discredit him so that he would go away. These religious leaders were basically trying to get Jesus to say something controversial so that they could destroy him. 2,000 years ago, people are trying to cancel a man by twisting his words into something that they can be offended by. I sure wish the Bible was more relatable to the times we live in today. <laughs> so, these religious, so the religious law expert asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Which I think is just a brilliant response. Because have you ever, have you ever argued with somebody who won't fight back? I heard it's infuriating. <laughs> the man answered, you must love your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, right, do this and you'll live. Nothing diffuses a fight faster than telling a person that they're right. Try that next time you find yourself in a fight. See what happens. You would think that after Jesus told the guy he was right, he would have left and gone home and bragged to his friends. I would have done that, in, in humility, of course. But I would have said, man, I was fighting with Jesus. I would have left off the part of he didn't know I was fighting with him. I would have jumped to the end where they said, the last thing Jesus said to me was I was right. So I'm doing awesome. How, how's your day going? You know? But the religious leader, he didn't stop there. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? The word justify jumped out to me while I was reading the story. The definition of justify is to show or prove to be right or reasonable. Another definition is to declare or make righteous in the sight of God, which is crazy because that is literally what was happening in this story. Recently, I started training for the Fathers for Fatherless Ride that Jeremiah was talking about. This requires time to train 
which means I have a lot of time away from my family. And being that I don't have any experience outside of physical therapy with riding a bike, I kind of guess at what time I'm going to be gone and how long it'll take me to get back. A few weeks ago, we had planned to do a 24-mile ride, which if I did my math correctly, was twice as far as I had ever gone. Now, we got to the turnaround point, and everybody was feeling pretty good. And someone who I'll let remain anonymous, but for the sake of the story, we'll call him Pastor J... We'll call him PJ. (laughs) PJ spoke up and suggested that we go another three miles. We turn this 24-miler into a 30-miler. Well, my mama didn't raise no pansy, so... (laughs) I said nothing, and we rode on. And we did it. We did 30 miles, plus the one I rode to church and the one I rode back. It's not a competition, but that's two more than PJ. (laughs) This put me about 45 minutes later than I thought I would be. And as I walked through the door, I immediately felt like I needed to justify why I was late and why I missed the family breakfast. Ashley wasn't upset. She's very understanding. Turns out, like most of you, she loves the cause and mission of the ride and is against sex trafficking and kids starving, so it was hard to be upset about. And I realized you don't always have to be 100% wrong to feel like you need to justify your actions. Sometimes I justify my actions even when I think I'm right. So Jesus replies with this story. A Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho was attacked by bandits. It was a very dangerous road back in the time, probably the equivalent to traveling from Elberville to St. Michael nowadays. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed over by the other side. Now, I did some research, and this road is not a four-lane road that we're thinking of. It's a very narrow road with steep cliffs on one side. And when Jesus said, passed by on the other side, to the people there, it meant almost he was literally stepping over the man to get around him. Then the despised Samaritan came along. Now, when Jesus brought up the Samaritan, probably the people in the audience started booing. For hundreds of years, the Jews and the Samaritans had been enemies. They hated each other. Most Jews wouldn't even travel through Samaria, and they would take a longer route to get around and avoid Samaria. But when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. The definition of compassion is this. Sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. Going over him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher, I'll pay it next time I'm here. And Jesus asked, now which of these three, who, who, who would you say that of these three is the neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. The definition of mercy is this, compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone 
whom it is within your power to punish or harm. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. I think if we're honest with ourselves this morning, during different seasons of our lives, we can relate to each character in that story. Obviously, we want to be more like Jesus. You guys showing up here in person today, that proves it. Those of you who are watching on your cabins at home, we don't know about you guys yet. (laughs) We also want to be like the Good Samaritan. Who wouldn't want to be the hero of the story? Person who feels compassion, who shows mercy, who protects the vulnerable, who is moved to action and saves a life. Sometimes we might be like the priest or the temple assistant. We see the need, we know the right thing to do, but instead of taking our next right step, we step around the problem and hope that the next person will take care of it. In doing so, we justify our inaction. There are seasons of our lives that we don't like talking about. The times where we are, oh, it's going to get me, where we're the broken, laying in the road, just hoping that someone would take a moment from their busy day to show us compassion and have mercy on us and get us to a place where we can heal. More often than we'd like to admit, we might be the religious expert looking for ways to justify how we treat people. It's easy to treat people who we love well. It's easy to treat people who are nice to us well. It's much more difficult to love difficult people. The religious expert probably wishes he would have left before this story was told because now he was forced to see people the way Jesus saw people. Jesus says that everyone we encounter is our neighbor. Not just people who look like us, not people who believe like us, not just people who think the same way about COVID as us, not just people who vote like us, even the keyboard warriors who just want to see the world burn, they're our neighbors. Turns out they're easy to spot because they're usually wearing a Packers jersey. (laughs) What would it look like if everyone we encountered we treated the way Jesus says we should treat them. There would probably be a lot less fires to put out, a lot more dinner conversations, a lot more coffee conversations. So now we know that Jesus says that everyone we encounter is our neighbor. So let's go back to Galatians 5. In verse 16 he says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us the desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not carrying out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you are under no obligation to the law of Moses. These verses are talking about our freedom and how there's always a conflict between our sinful nature and what God wants for us. The Apostle Paul says that the closer we are to God, the farther we are from what our sinful nature wants. Followers of Jesus don't use their freedom to indulge. Paul continues in verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. 
sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have said before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But Paul doesn't end there. In verse 22 he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against, or there are no laws against these things. Followers of Jesus use their freedom to produce fruit. For a long time I thought there was an S in the word fruit in that sentence. I thought it was nine different fruits. But the verse is saying that it's one fruit with nine different characteristics. So I did some research on fruit, and this is what I found. Fruit grows slowly over time. Fruit grows by being connected. It's not through effort. Fruit only grows on a plant of its own kind. So when we see grapevines, we expect to see grapes. When we see an apple tree, we expect to see apples. Never lemons. You know the saying that when life gives you lemons, you got it. I found a few funny answers that I want to share with you for that saying this morning. When life gives you lemons, plant a seed, grow an orchard, sell it to Sunkist, and require, retire young. <laughs> when life gives you lemons, you should make lemonade, and then you should find someone whose life has given them vodka, and you should have a party. <laughs> My favorite one, though, was when life gives you lemons, freeze them, and then use them to throw at your enemies. But I learned something else about lemons. Turns out lemons are not actually naturally occurring in nature. They're a hybrid between a bitter orange and a citron, which means life never actually gave us lemons. We invented them all by ourselves. <laughs> Paul is saying that you can't grow God's fruit and your own fruit at the same time. We have to be connected to Jesus for the right fruit to grow. Sometimes in order to grow the fruit of the Spirit, we have to first pull the weeds of our nature to make room for God. Growing is a process. Growing takes time. Growing takes connection. I started CrossFit in the winter of 2017 because I wanted to get stronger. I know what you're all thinking. This is what four years of CrossFit looks like. No. You take out my injuries, non-CrossFit related. I've basically been CrossFitting for like six days. So <laughs> cal calm down, calm down. The first day I walk in, I'm feeling pretty confident. I'm assessing, assessing the competition, seeing what's going on. I hear one of the girls as I walk in say, I don't want to work out with that guy. He looks like a drill sergeant. My confidence is at an all-time high. I'm ready. So... Needless to say, the ego boost did not last for very long because the friend who had invited me to this boot camp, I, he didn't know we were racing, but I was racing. And the farther, he kept pulling farther and farther and farther away from me, so I kept going faster and faster. And then I started to not feel so great. Now I've made enough choices in my life to recognize the signs uh, that I'm about to faint. Lightheadedness, sweating profusely, nausea, 
tunnel vision, all of those things were happening to me right when one of the coaches walks by and she asked me, how are you doing? I had the wits to say, I'm not doing very good. I think I'm about to faint. (laughs) So she runs and gets what I think is baby food and hands me a pouch. (laughs) As I lay on the ground, sucking on my baby food pouch, (laughs) sweating profusely, too weak to get up, the girl who said, I don't want to work out with that guy, steps over me in like this like alpha, kind alpha move to like get to the door because my lifeless body was blocking her. So I learned a few variable, very valuable lessons that day. Humility. Never judge a book by its cover. Growth, getting stronger, growing muscles. It's a process that takes time. But the longer I'm connected to that community, the stronger I get. We'll never achieve perfection, and perfection should never be the goal. Growth should always be the goal. At Westbridge, we say, come as you are. Just don't stay that way. We don't care what you wear, just wear something. We're always striving for people to get better. Paul writes in Philippians 3.12, he says this. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection of which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. There are different seasons here in Minnesota, and our new youth pastor from California, he's about to learn that the hard way. (laughs) We're all in different seasons of our life, all in different seasons of our walk with God. There are seasons where things are being planted and need to water, be watered to grow. There are seasons of waiting, waiting for peace or wisdom. There are seasons of healing, which is my least favorite season. There are seasons where we finally get to harvest the fruit. I think those of us with kids, that's the hope we cling to, that the years of watering and pruning and nurturing that it'll finally pay off. But whatever you plant is what you will grow. If you plant love, you'll grow love. If you plant fear, you'll grow fear. This lines up with what Paul says in Galatians 9. He says, don't be misled. You cannot be mocked. You cannot mock the justice of God. You'll always harvest what you plant. Those who live to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing good. And I love that line. At just the right time, we will reap the harvest of blessing if we don't give up. You will always harvest what you plant. So let's not get tired of doing good. Let's use our freedom to love our neighbors well. And we know that Jesus says, everyone we encounter is our neighbors. Some of you have maybe never experienced that freedom that comes with a personal relationship with Jesus. You may have tried to earn it through being a good person or through works or by following the law. But the good news today is that you don't have to earn it. You can't earn it. 
It's free. It's a free relationship, personal relationship with Jesus. And it's not through works. It's through grace alone. All you have to do to accept this invitation is follow along with this simple prayer. Father, please forgive me of my sins. Please forgive me of the times I've walked away from you. I admit that I'm broken and that I need you. I want to say yes to your invitation. Adopt me into your family. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. Help me to trust and follow you. And God, for those of us who needed to hear the challenge of loving our neighbors well, we pray that you give us the strength and the courage to do so. If we have to ask forgiveness for something, we ask the courage to do that as well. We thank you for today and all that this means. We pray that this, uh, this nation heals. And we pray that you help us to do that with you and through you. Amen.